0: Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Gifts Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today I'm very happy to have as my special guest Earl Johnson, an exceptional guitar player, notably with the band Moxie in the 1970s, along with various other projects throughout his career. We'll get some insights uh, from his uh, time inside the Canadian music scene and see what he's up to now as well. So thanks for joining me today, Earl. How are you?
1: Good, good. Happy to be here.
0: Well, good. Well, thanks for coming on. I Appreciate it. And of course, uh, you you made your mark. I guess you've been. It's been over fifty years, maybe uh, in in the music scene now, over half a century. How does that feel?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because um, I'm almost restarting at this point hmm. with with a new band, Tribes, and Tribes is all about. Without getting into too much detail, okay. During yeah. COVID, I found out my birth father was a Indian out of Brantford's um, Six Nations, okay?
0: Wow, okay. And that
1: that ended up going back all the way down to, you have to do a, if you, to get an, an Indian card in Canada, they have to do a gene, genealogical search on you or whatever right. it's called. It's, it's a family tree search, okay? Mm-hmm. So they did a family tree search and the tribe I was in was called Tuscarora, which went down to North Carolina in the uh, 1700s. Wow. They actually came up to Canada during some of the American Civil Wars And the, no, the English and American Wars. And they ended up, uh, somehow ended up at the end of the day over in Brantford under the Six Nations Umbrella. Wow. So, so anyways, um, and my mom used to tell me this stuff years ago. Your dad, your birth father, I know I never knew him. Your birth father was, you know, was a native Indian. And Mm -hmm. I never thought too much of it, you know, until I drank too much whiskey and found out. (laughs) Some of my birth defects. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <you know. laughs> my one of my ex-wives was quick to point out. Anyways, um, um, so we call it Call of the Wild" in the old days. But but when we were like, touring, when we were touring, in Moxie, "Call of the Wild" was every night. Okay, you know. Right. So, yeah. But um, anyways, during this whole thing during COVID, so then I pushed it further, and it's a it's a thing called quantum blood now if you have a high percentage of pure indian blood in your family tree you apply you can become an american citizen as well hmm. you you are actually deemed a an american indian living in canada right interesting so that's my that's my current status well <laughs> you know? so
0: you, you were born in hamilton though is that correct yes i was born in
1: hamilton yeah i was born in yeah. hamilton now um interesting and i i mean i had no clue i had no clue in all these yeah. years and and you know um you know, it, it's funny because you, when I went down to the States the first time with a guy named King Biscuit Boy, and I was touring with him, I was around 18, and I got turned back at a flight because my, the name they submitted didn't match the name on my birth certificate, oh. which my my mom just handed to me before the flight, and I looked at it and said Earl Johnson, and I had been going by the name Earl Czak all that time. But okay. <laughs> you know, huh. Anyways, got very confusing. Um, right. Right. So anyways, long story short, um, we got that straightened out. Um, I, when I was 18, I quit school and walked out the mm-hmm. door and went on tour with Van and became for three years. Interesting. And it was a very magical time. This is around the time of Woodstock yeah. and Kent State. We actually drove through Columbus, Ohio the day after the shootings in Kent State.
0: Which was and in October of 70, right? Yeah.
1: We were on our way down to the Midwest to do a tour. And we're driving through Columbus. And I'm seeing all these tanks coming down the street. And I'm sitting in the back seat. Said, Drive, take the first side road, will you please? Okay. Yeah. So we got off. And we got out of the car and watched. And all these tanks were rolling down the street. And I'm going, these are university kids they're dealing with. Wow. Why would you need tanks? And it was unbelievable. It was a wild time in history. It really was.
0: Yeah, that was a that was a negative situation. Oh. But I hope it never gets repeated. I mean, for for sharpshooters and military guys to be sitting up and you know picking yeah, off it, college students.
1: Exactly, it was it was beyond. Yeah, it was it, and defenseless as well. Defenseless, yeah, of course. You yeah. know, I mean that's yeah. the wild thing about it. Anyways, yeah, got, no, interesting, kind of, and you, yeah. Kind of, I kind of sidetracked. Okay. No,
0: that's good. Well, it, it's interesting thing about the race too. Like, like I mean, you you just are who you are, and then you you grow up in that time. You, your musical influences are are the same as everybody else's. So I guess in the one sense, you you're uh, half of a particular race, but on the other sense, it doesn't really matter because you're just growing up with this magical time of music, and you got these yeah. musical influences. You start playing guitar, and yeah. you're as cool. You're the cool dude on the block, I guess.
1: Well, it was funny be you know, I'll tell you a couple funny stories quickly. Uh, firstly, when I was around 10, my mom gave me a Hawaiian guitar and told me to take lessons. So I used, to, I used to go into a room with 10 other guys playing a Hawaiian guitar. Every one of them was out of tune. Yeah. You couldn't tune those guitars up fast enough to run a half-hour lesson, okay? So every guitar was – I would go home and I'd stick the guitar to the bed and I'd go out and play baseball with my buddies, right? Yeah. So my mom says to me one day, so uh, how's the guitar lessons going I said, yeah, they're good. I said, well, I just found the guitar in the attic, and there's dust all over it. I says, yeah. And she goes, how about the money I gave you for the last lessons? And I said, well, it's under my pillow, Mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she gets the money. She gets the guitar, sells the guitar, and that's the end of my career right there, okay? Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm watching the Ed Sullivan show about three years later, and the Stones come on, and they do that rip in The Last Time which sounded mm-hmm. to me like a whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin at the time. Yeah. It was like down and I just went, okay, that's the stuff. That's what I've been waiting for. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's what I want to play. So then I took up, I took up guitar seriously. Okay. Um, I went in for lessons uh, to the local music store and um, there was a, um, they give me a book, they book my lesson. And I go in this room and I'm with a black gentleman and he's pretty heavy set, and uh, he's, um, he puts out something like Little Brown Jug and said, this is what we're going to play. I said, no, that's not what I'm playing. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I don't want to play Chuck Berry. I don't want to play Little Brown Jug. Hmm. And he goes, we don't teach Chuck Berry. And I said to him, well, you look like Chuck Berry. Well, that was the last thing I should have said. <laughs> and next thing I know, my ass is out the door, okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm out of the class, everything. So I, I'm, I'm well I'm all like depressed, and I ask my buddy, of mine, does anybody know how to teach Chuck Berry?" He goes, "Yeah, my buddy plays that stuff." So I go over, and I and I meet this guy, and, and we would be in the same band later. A guy named John Woodcock, who was, mm-hmm. who who turned my world around at the time. In two yeah. hours, he taught me how to play "Old Carol," "Johnny Be Good," all that stuff yeah in, in 2 hours and i was just forever swore to the guy. you know uh, well you make a good so.
0: point you make a good point because i often say and you know, when we first started playing guitar like my mom was a classical piano player so but that was just like typing i mean you, you play these notes at this yeah. oh, yeah. so we you know we only knew three chords when we started up but we had fun yeah. with those three chords and oh, then yeah. you learn another chord then you learn yeah. the riff for johnny be good and you have fun with it that's the whole oh, context yeah. of what you're doing you're not there yeah. to yeah. to be a scientist, a musical scientist.
1: No. And, and and the other thing was, and it's prevalent in every generation, there's an energy and a political kind of logical thing going on all the time, right? You know, that's mm. going on all the time, from, from Sex Pistols to you, you 2 you name it, okay? But there's always that cultural thing that happens every 10 years or, you know. Mm. And at the time... The whole thing in the in the late in the early fifties, sorry sorry, in the early sixties was Beatles, Stones, and all that Chuck Berry derivative stuff, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. All 100%. that stuff they were all yeah.
1: playing was all derivative. And then you know, ten years later, there you got Led Zeppelin, right? Yeah, you know.
0: And well, then well, you had the phase of hate Ashbury, and you had the protest yeah. songs, like the, a lot of the anti-war songs and stuff came out as well, right?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, that's it
1: when i was about uh, i think i was touring with biscuit boy for 3 years when i was 18 19 and 20 and when i was 20 i think it was 70 it was 71 the the, the zeppelin played in toronto at the uh, place called the um, the sonic temple hmm. and a buddy of mine said you got to come see these guys i just heard their stuff and i hadn't heard of them at all and yeah. we drove over and we were up in the uh, i think we were up in the uh, balcony and i'm looking down at Paige and going holy my world just changed totally, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Is it, that's what I want to do, you know? Yeah, and I had sure. been playing blues nonstop for three years, and then I got the buzz to start writing songs and wanted to right. you know do that thing, right? And and I yeah. heard them said it was so creative what they were doing. Yeah. And it was in the days when jams were still jams, you know, a jam nowadays is everybody playing a karaoke version of a song, okay? But in those days, a jam was a jam. You went up and you just played, but we didn't know any better at the same time, you know? Yeah. You know, so anything. But, yeah. yeah, I saw that and I just, that blew me away. And then, and then. Uh, yeah. It was well, so
0: you'd already decided you were going to, like you said, you quit school, you went on the road. You already decided you were going to pursue a career, but did you have a plan? Like, did you say, I want to do this and you have a plan? Or how much no, of it was happenstance? Well, what,
1: what, when I quit school, I had already quit school mentally two years before that. Okay. I was hardly going to school. When I was 17 and. Like late 16, 17, I was playing four nights a week in bands.
0: Mm, And
1: and I was making at one point, I think I was paying rent at home when I was 16 years old. And (laughs) I remember saying to my mom, can you charge me rent at this age? If you're making that much money and your dad's laid off, you're frigging right you're paying rent. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, there you go. So when I was 18... I was making good money and I had a girlfriend coming over two nights, three nights a week via cab. Well, my mom's yeah. was my mom's smarter than me, okay. Man, she's she German, she's German, so you know, there's a thing there with the Germans, okay? We'll get yeah. into that later. Anyway, <laughs> she said she would say, So you can pay for your girlfriend to come over on a cab like three nights a week, and you're only paying me a hundred dollars. I said, So what is it now? Okay, so it goes up to 150, okay? So <laughs> So I go back and I work on a volume rebate with a cab driver. Right? There you go. <laughs> Anyways, um, so my life was pre- – my life actually peaked at 18. I was living the best life possible, you know. You know, so yeah. – Playing all the
0: time, and oh, good for you but I mean early in the career you're, you're also paying your dues right you're playing like you like you yeah. made the point about playing four nights a yeah. week we used to play six nights a week whatever but those are where you really pay your dues and you really polish your craft right and and that's kind of lost today because there's not that circuit oh, yeah. or those gigs to play right
1: no there isn't there isn't and it's an ongoing you know I teach guitar now for a living yeah. and I have a, an academy here in Ajax I've got a lot of a lot of really good young students and all that and we feed them to a local place called the edge and we do a jam there uh, so i get them all prepared and we get we'll do, we do a version of like whatever hotel california or whatever i make the, sure the kids can play that thing inside out before they go on stage yeah and i always tell them when you go on stage don't think just play don't look at mom and dad right. or your yeah. friends look at your fretboard and just play and yeah. they do well they do well right you know good yeah but in those but, days we're playing all the time
0: yeah, for sure. And and if you if you, you know, crap the bed as they say one night or yeah. you have a bad yeah. night, you fix yeah. it the next night cuz you got yeah. the next night to go back and say, "Okay, I'm playing better tonight." Yeah. And and I mean really though, we we were fortunate. I'm a little bit younger than you, but I mean, I went through that time and and th- those are the best of times. You got a bunch of guys, you're playing cool tunes, yeah. and you, it, yeah. it was a cool time in history that that won't be repeated, I don't think. Oh, uh,
1: I know. Where 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 were you playing out of?
0: Well, I was born in Guelph. Okay. But All I right. moved out here with my parents out to the West Coast when I was 10 years old. So I oh, okay. most of my career's been out here and I've been playing. Well, I did my first full-time paying gig in 76 and then yeah. been a full-time musician since 82 and I'm still still making a living, still doing well out here, but I found right. my way through the yeah. music business. So
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But there was a great buzz in Southern Ontario at that time. I mean, you, you came into the right place at the right time because there was a real great buzz around Southern Ontario with all these bands forming and breaking out of that area, right?
1: Well, yeah, um, but you, you know, it's ironic now is I watch everybody. And with Tribes, we've got to go through what all the young bands are going through. Uh, right. You've got to do it yourself. you got to pay for all the recording, all the video. you got to do it all yourself up front etc yeah so uh, but in those days the record company signed you and they took care of everything they robbed right. you they robbed yes. you okay <laughs> they totally robbed you but <laughs> yeah. but you know um see they some people yeah. yeah like well, like see with moxie we went down to like what happened with moxies i was i joined a band called the asteroid i think in 72 with buzz who was a singer and right. me and him right. had, had become friends to another friend of mine and we talked about putting something original together. Anyways, we started writing some songs, and we started getting some really good reaction. And then, you know, but the problem was, we were playing, we were playing the six night a week thing then as well. Okay, well, yeah, but the Ashford it,
0: was quite a well-known band around yeah, Southern Ontario, yeah,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. At that, but the thing so. was, um, they had been through it. The hit was gone. You know, Dickens was the big hit, and you know, yeah. it had been a while. And 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 you know. Buzz was a great singer. He's a great front man, amazing front man, great singer. And me and him hit it off. And what happened was, uh, so we took a shot at doing all original stuff, right? And uh, in my later life, I became a good salesman only because I learned how to barter with bar owners when they wanted to fire on Tuesday night, you know? Yeah. So, so anyways, we, we did a year of trying to write stuff and it went nowhere and we got discouraged and we broke it up, right? I put a band together for about a year uh, out, of, out of Hamilton, went back to Hamilton. I called Buzz and said, hey, I said, Buzz, I've been writing some new songs. I got, and then one was Sail On, Sail Away. Another one was Fantasy. I said, I got right. some pretty cool stuff happening. So we said, let's get together. So I brought my buddy Kim on bass from Hamilton with me. We hooked up with Buzz and with uh, Bill Wade, the original drummer. And we started putting the first album together, right? And it was like, and Buzz was going, wow, this stuff is really good and bill was saying yeah this is great and it, it, it showcased him all over the place he could mm. it was a three-piece band he could do whatever he wanted right yeah so then buzz brought in a guy named Roly paquin who had been the road manager for james gang when joe walsh was with him and then yeah. after when tommy boland and other guys were with him right right and uh anyways roland said i gotta sell this and so he got us a production deal with a company out of Canada that ran New Yorkville Records at the time, and Head uh, Records they were called. Anyways, the next thing I know, they send us to L.A. to do the album, wow. and and we're down in L.A. at Van Nuys, which became way famous after after we recorded ours. Okay, yeah. So right, um, and we record. So we record the album, but and 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 the, the, well, this is an ongoing story forever. Okay, um, we we the album. As far as all the bed tracks, I go and do the solos. And on, I do Sail and Sail Away, I do Can't You See I'm a Star. And it's going well. I go in the Moon Rider, and me and, and this guy named Mark Smith, who's producing it, get into a fight. He's, I don't like the way that solo is being played, I want to hear. I said, no, it's my song, and this is the solo, and this is what I hear. This is how it's going to get played. Well, I lost that battle, you know. Mm. And then the next thing I know... I, I mustered out of the studio, and um, there was copious amounts of white powder in the air at the time, okay, uh, yeah.
0: without nailing
1: anybody. But, and yeah. I par- I did not partake because I said, I've happened to like that stuff, but you can't work on it, okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah, right. So yeah. I knew my limitations. Yeah. And anyways, the next thing I know, Tommy Baldwin goes in and does six of the solos in the song.
0: Oh.
1: and it, And two days later, I'm flying home on my own. On mm. my own, and I'm going okay. I wrote all the songs. It's my own music. It's my own band, and now I'm I'm in the air. What the is going? Sorry, yeah. what the f is going on? Anyways, and I still to this day, I, I kind of have a bad feeling that that was kind of pre-planned it, to take advantage of Rolly's connection with Bolin mm. and Bolin's yeah. fame, Boland's level of fame, and right. that it would it would be a really good mark. And it was it was good marketing. Plan to sell that first album, right. and the only personal satisfaction I got was one: I wrote all the songs. Two, I did the guitar solos on the songs I got the most airplay, which was well, in yeah, Canada, in Canada it was it was Kansas' City "Star," in the U.S. Yeah. it was "Sail On." You know,
0: interesting. Well, it does seem kind of unusual being a founding member, being the primary guitar player, primary songwriter, to be removed from the session. I mean. But... Mm-hmm. Seems kind of from outside looking in, that seems rather odd.
1: Well, it was. And I remember looking at Roly going, Okay, I don't know you that well. You're not giving me a good vibe right now, okay? You're yeah. really not giving me a good vibe. And then I remember going back to this and I'm I'm upstairs and I'm walking with This was bloody pre planned. And I was a big yeah. Tommy Bowling fan. I bought his records. Yeah. I love the guy. Yeah,
0: well. It's interesting because I've been in lots of studio situations and there's a little bit of tension sometimes, but it's, it's normally it's based out of the passion that the people have for the music. Yeah. So the producer's yeah. job is to harness that passion yeah. and shovel it back into the song.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. It was like, I just started on the solo yeah. and it was like, really? boom, no, we're not huh. going that way. And I went, hang on, you haven't even heard the whole solo. And <laughs> yeah. like, I just went, okay, okay, whatever, you know. Yeah anyway
0: well that's in. yeah i was going to ask you a couple questions related to that just you know it seems like back in the day there was a real buzz around music but players switched around a lot right didn't don't you notice like looking back at the timelines and stuff some of these bands were really short-lived and people like musical chairs in the bands and stuff why, why do you think that was just looking for the right combination maybe or personalities or, or the like you said the, the dummy dust uh caused a lot of bands to to go sideways well
1: you know the um the record companies had too much control okay okay the, the record companies did have too much control now it's the opposite size you know i'm the opposite side of it but the thing is um i remember um who was i talking to we were touring with a band called angel and um and i remember talking to some of their crew and they were telling me how um who was the original guitar player and kiss um well, Ace, really, really, Ace, Ace really, really, said, yeah. said Ace really never even played on some of their albums. Yeah, well, there you go. And I, I went, really? He said, yeah, they had studio guys in all the time. And that's because they had this mindset in those days that you had to have studio guys. Well, mm-hmm. you didn't have to have studio guys, mm-hmm. you know? And I listened yeah. to the first album after after uh, um, Boland did it. I said, Jesus, you know, he's good here, he's good here, but he's pretty lame here and he's pretty mm-hmm. lame there. Because office, he obviously didn't spend much time. It was just here it's in the key of A major, play whatever. A major yeah, really. pentatonic across it, play what you know, you know. But but it, and I listened to it, it's a great player, but I mean he didn't do justice to a few of the songs, yeah. you know. Anyways.
0: Well, a lot of, yeah, I mean, I guess that you're just trying to get the end product. I mean, if you watch The Wrecking Crew, the, the, the movie, The Wrecking Crew, right? I mean, the, the classic monkeys, when the monkeys went to record, right? They oh, yeah. show up at the studio and go, oh, it's all done. You know, we, we're good. We get, yeah, we got. Oh, that. yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but that wasn't your case. I mean, you, we came from, the, from the, the school that you get a bunch of guys together. You're competent players. You go in there. You got passion. You wrote the songs. You're recording those songs. You can add some yeah. bells and whistles and maybe bring in yeah. a couple studios. Everybody does that. Yeah. But you're the well, core you know, of the band. You play the songs.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is, when you write the song, you hear a certain thing in your head yeah. happening. Yeah. And, and, and when you don't hear that, you go, what the hell? That's a, going sideways. You know? So, I mean, yeah. I mean, but that's from an artistic perspective, right?
0: Well, I guess. But, I mean, I've talked to some guys who, you know, go down to L.A. and you're assigned a producer. Right, that yeah, might have been yeah. your case. Oh, Dude, yeah. Here, he's your producer. Yeah. Well, we don't—we're not on the same wavelength. This guy's trying to change my tunes. Yeah. He doesn't like what we're doing. Like, there's been th- those situations where it's just nose to nose in the yeah. studio because you
1: just well. Like- for for us, for the Moxie history it was very chaotic. Yeah. Um, yeah. After the first album, see, what, there was a big fallout between me and Buzz after the first album. Okay. He started claiming he wrote all these parts of the songs, and I said, Buzz, here the sheets I wrote the original lyrics on. Like hmm. give me a, give me a, and he was trying to claim, uh, hey, I should have get fifty percent on the lyrics of this or that. Uh, now, see, in those days, and he wasn't far off because what happened later was singers started getting credit for developing the melody of the song. Hmm. So, so if a song, if you wrote all the lyrics, but the singer came up with the melody of the song, then he should have got something, and I agree with that t- totally because yeah. well, the singer you don't have a song, you know. So, but in those days, it was very, you know, it was very cut and dry. Yeah. You wrote the lyrics. You you got the, the, the percentage of the lyrics, right? But yeah. see, what happened was after the first time, and then, then the first album, we we sat on it for a year. It didn't get we didn't mm-hmm. get a seller or, or a label for a year until Polydor picked it up.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you about because you had you had a single, right? And yeah. and uh, you got some play with the uh, "Can't You See I'm a Star?"
1: Mm-hmm. and then
0: so you must have recorded that before the record company came along. You, you spent your own money to record that. How did that work?
1: We signed a production deal.
0: Oh, Okay. With,
1: with the head records and they were the production company that we signed actually our recording contract with, And, okay. uh, and they would lease it out to whoever they lease it out to. Right. So yeah. we were sitting on it. I remember, and we were playing like all the gas works and all the clubs in downtown Toronto. And then, one day I'm driving to Toronto and they're on Chum AM. I'm here on Can't you see him a Star. I oh. almost fell off the highway. I went where the <laughs> hell did that come from? They didn't even tell me they're putting it out, right? Wow. And okay. Then, and the next thing, you know, bang, we got a top twenty song. I'm going, Can't you see him a star? The top twenty song? Are you kidding me? You know? Yeah because that wasn't a day of very commercial stuff, right? Right. Anyway, so that that triggered because because they could take they had production company to go to Polydor Mercury, say, look at this guy's got a top 20 song with an independent label, you know? Right. Anyway, that sold it for us.
0: Yeah. So you actually did it in reverse because most bands, exactly. they, they yeah. try to get a, they get a record deal on their demos and then they produce an album and they crank, they flood the market with their first single. And then after that, but you already, yeah. yeah okay. I see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's very cool.
0: It's a different oh, world. I was going to ask was, you about oh, Tribes now, but I yeah. mean, like, who's your audience? Where do you find your audience these days?
1: Well, you see, that's the thing, and, and especially being an older act. People don't want to know about you as an older act. Like, you mm-hmm. guys are done. You, did you not run your race, you know? but but
0: you, you took a yeah, ride, right? that's you, the kind you, of attitude
1: you get. Okay, but hang yeah. on, maybe we're not finished. There might be a little left in the yeah. story, right? So, yeah. well, like, tribes happened out of COVID, okay? I ended up back in Hamilton in 2019. Um, a lot of bad shit happened. My wife died. I I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and everything everything went sideways. And uh, my sister said, well, why don't you just get your butt back here in Hamilton? You got a safe landing. You don't have to pay a dime. Just come home. And I went, yeah, okay. That sounds like a nice invitation, right? And then I got home, and I hooked up with my old old drummer, uh, a buddy of mine named Dave Davidson. Good friends for 50 years from our first band when we were, like, 21. And, um... We started just playing tennis, and then one day he, I just, you know, he just goes, "Why don't we do something? Why don't we do something musically?" I got a couple of guys in, So Then he brings Donnie in, and we brought another guy in who was a blues guy, and we thought, "Oh, let's just do a blues thing." And I went, you know, I'm teaching guitar, playing a lot of different styles now, right? Smooth jazz yeah. styles, um,
0: yeah,
1: and then a lot of old classic stuff like, you know, you know Al Green. Uh, I'm thinking of. Uh, you know nice. what's what's going on by what's this what you know I'm trying to I'm name escapes you know and I'm teaching all my students all this stuff major seven. cool so then we started working on some song they had one particular tune called True Love that we started working on and we nailed that down we got that all down and then we did one more called No More Lies which has got a kind of a funk jazz feel to it yeah. and it goes into total Gino Vanelli world at one point oh, <laughs> and no, and, cool. and I went well sorry.
0: Yeah. Well, True Love, you wrote for yeah. your wife that yeah. passed away. Yeah. Is that correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah that, yeah. that was touching, man. That, that was, uh, that was special. I, I listened to it and it kind of, of got well, me a little bit. I'm glad you see that
1: because it's, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it was just, it, you know, cancer just, you know, who knows, you don't have, you have no shelf life limit. Okay. But what happened was um, I had been working on a song for a long time and then the last six months before she went, I had finished a song and played it for and all that, you know, so it was, you know, and, and, and it was, it was, you only meet so many people that you're lucky enough to have real true love with in this life. Hmm. Yep. It doesn't happen easily. And it doesn't happen very often because, you know, the, I guess the ceiling level is higher for re- true love than just average kind of love, you know? And well, I think, yeah. When somebody becomes a soulmate, and becomes yep. kind of your everything, you know, that's kind of, you know. And as a musician, she was, she actually opened up the music school with me and helped run it with me that I started yep. back about 10 years ago. So we yep. were bonded. We were bonded for 10 years. It was like. Oh, cool. You know. Well,
0: I, I would encourage our listeners to go and, and check it out. It's, it's called True Love. And uh, you're playing on there. I, you kind of got a Gary Moore vibe, Santana kind of a vibe from your solo and stuff.
1: Yeah, I changed, my style just changed from teaching guitar, from yeah. listening to all the different kind of, you know, I would teach the kids minor scales nonstop. Every guitar teacher teaches them straight pentatonic without minor. I said, well, you don't do minor. You never learn the colors. You can't put, yeah. and then, you know, and then if you're really a guitar player and you learn how to merge minor into major and all the different mm. note possibilities, then you really come up with different combinations.
0: Right. Right. So, well, and yeah, my problem with, the, with the, some of the, you know, like the, the, the Saga sort of tunes is they sound very scalish to me. Like they're, like they're playing scales very fast. And I was always of the school that you play, you play themes and melodies and yeah. you build those melodies and stuff. That's kind of the way I play. So I was more on that side, like the, the Gary Moore, Santana kind
1: of... That's themes. very much the way I, I try to teach my students and my better students. Okay. I try to teach them. I said, look... You're gonna go forward uh, on like you know notes three four five six seven, then go backwards. Don't play the same pattern every time. Learn how to move around and learn how to look at your guitar as not as not just a one note here, one note there. You, you learn how to put melodies together and putting basically a really good guitar solo is putting a whole bunch of nice melodies together, right? Well,
0: sure. And, and because the problem, like some of the 80 shredders and stuff, it just sounds like scale exercises. Like that's what the solo sounds like. Because that's the way that, you know, we, we always teach in, in martial arts, you fight the way you train. You know, in guitar, you, you, you play the way you learn. And if you're a scale guy, an arpeggio guy, when the solo comes along, you go, OK, here's the chords. I'm playing this arpeggio here. I'm playing this scale here. And that's kind of what it sounds
1: like. Yeah. Well, see, if I I, I kind ch- of look at it this way. For tribes in particular, I really sat down because I had the time. I'd look at my guitar. i pl- play my guitar so it's like, okay, Becky, don't end up on the same root note every time. Don't end up mm, on right. going back to the five or the one all the time. Go to the three. Go to the four. And if you do that, you put different colors and different emphasis on the phrases, yeah. right? And yeah. that's what I did. Like in True Love, I did a lot of that. A lot of
0: that, yeah. Well, it, it comes across because like, I it, it got caught my ear right away. I mean, even if you end on a four, you can still resolve off of it, yep. After yep. you don't have to you have to park there, but uh, yeah. So, yep. I was going to ask you about um, some names from back there from back in the day because did you know Donnie Underhill? Yeah, yeah, it we know Don- played I with
1: Donnie. Donnie was a good buddy of ours in the old days, okay, because
0: be, he yeah. was in flood, right? Yeah, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he moved out here. I know Donnie quite well. He came over to my house, actually, when we did the uh, podcast. (laughs) He goes, he goes, Dan, I can't, I don't know how to do the computer stuff. Can I just come over? I said, oh, sure. Yeah. So he came over to my house and we did it.
1: He was a great, he was was uh, a really fun guy. We had a ball with him
0: yeah well he was uh, he was a wild and crazy guy when he yep. was younger but he's yep. uh you know he's been a friend of mine for many decades now yep. so yep. uh and then Frank soda did you ever get to hang out with frank i met, I,
1: I I've talked with Frank online a few times and okay I'll, I'll tell you the funniest thing is I remember one night I'm walking into the gasworks this guy comes flying out the front doors and he's got a tv <laughs> tv on his head i go no, frank. I go, okay i didn't do any acid am i okay i go back in the door frank comes in the back door of the gas room to the bathrooms <laughs> and back up on stage too funny yeah you know? oh funny. yeah and that was my first vision of frank okay yeah
0: no, you know? that's, that's too funny well he's a player too man he, oh yeah. he can rip it he can rip it up oh pretty yeah good,
1: so. no no, he, no no he's an excellent player you know yeah but i mean then, i mean he had, a cool, he had a cool
0: thing going on. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. He had, a, he had a hype for sure. Well, he moved out here and kind of retired. He worked for yeah. the post office and stuff. So I've seen him play. He still plays sometimes. He has a band yeah. called Scots and Soda. I just wondered if you ever seen him. And then um, did you ever see a band, The Hourglass, back there? You know what? They were active right around the early 70s. My uncle, Bruce, was was the singer in that band for several years.
1: There was a band, I think the Something of Time, the Eyes of Time, the Something of Time. Um, we played... We did a tour of, of, of B.C. with King Biscuit Boy at one point. And I think these guys merged into another band. And I don't know if it was not prison. I'm not sure. Um,
0: yeah. Well, there were Seeds of, seeds of Time. See, that's,
1: that's it. That's the band. That's seeds the band time. that
0: merged into yeah, a, yeah, part yeah. of the guys. Yeah. So
1: we played a gig in Penticton, in an arena. In arena. Oh, and these guys are the opening act, right? And they, they go up and enter... The, Great band, listened to it. But the ending was, the drummer's doing a drum solo, and they start taking all the drums off them. right? They take all the drums oh. off the stage, and they're carrying them out of the arena with him playing the snare drum, right? And I was hmm. laughing my ass up. <laughs> the coolest thing I've ever seen, right? At the no, time, funny. you know? And then um, yeah. um, I remember um, and then Bruce, who was the main, was Lover Boy's manager?
0: Well- no, that was, you're talking about Bruce Allen. So yeah. I was asking about, um, about a band in Southern Ontario because my, my family's all from there and my uncle was from Guelph, obviously, and they had a band called The Hourglass and they were quite a well-known band around Southern heard, Ontario I, in the I, early
1: 70s. I heard of them. But see, what happened with yeah. Moxie was when we got signed and it was 75-ish, okay? Like, yeah. like when we actually went on the road, we went to the States for like three years. They just kept throwing us down the States. And, and cool. we, and I would be out of touch with what was going on in Canada. Totally. Yeah. we come home with a, tr- a Toronto concert, yeah. a Montreal concert, and you're back on the road again. It was crazy, oh. you know? So, so
0: you knew, you knew Donnie Hill back then though, no? Or did you meet him later?
1: Donnie? No, I meant, no, Donnie. Donnie, Donnie. I meant, I meant Donnie during the COVID thing.
0: Oh, okay. Cause it, my uncle mentioned him. I heard that name quite a bit. So when I saw you were playing with Donnie yeah. Hill. Yeah, I thought okay. Well, my uncle Bruce mentioned him many times because yeah, he Donnie, knew him.
1: Yeah, Donnie was from Brantford, close to Guelph, so he would have you know known. And, and I have been
0: around for years, right? Oh, I
1: know, I know. And Donnie is pretty cool because um, we uh, we actually co wrote a song called "Long Black Cadillac," which is kind cool. of a cool yeah. tune, and uh, yeah. you know, and he was the one who told me to investigate the whole Indian thing, right? Oh nice! So, yeah, oh yeah,
0: because right, he's uh, yeah. Yeah, he is as yeah,
1: well. yeah. So I, yeah. so now after Donnie's telling me this, I'm actually more Indian than he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty. Go. That's pretty it's nuts, intense. you know. Pretty
0: nuts. So you mentioned you mentioned the states and that you get you guys got this. I don't know what it was, but it's because I, I talked to Rick Emmett, of course, and. Yeah. Uh, and Gilmore and stuff. And yeah. said, there, there's just something about the Southern states in Texas that likes Canadian heavy bands. Well, something. San Antonio,
1: not... San Antonio in those days, let's say seventy-five, seventy-six, up until about, I'd say the late nineties, was literally the, the heavy many rock capital of the world. Okay, hmm. okay. and uh, I do I mean, it's not Scorpions that were big down there. Michael Schenker, who you know was huge down there. Where he went triumph have, did great yeah oh yeah triumph did great down there rush did great yeah. um I think rush rush is the one that broke it and then when we came out you know we can we got we got the benefit of rush breaking it down there okay okay you know yeah. and then um basically triumph came out after that and et cetera, et cetera, right
0: yeah
1: and, and they're I mean yeah I mean we played there last September about would have been three a year ago three weeks. And, yeah, I
0: saw that. You yeah. went down and did a, a big show there in 2022. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it, was
1: a, it was a great show. It was a great show.
0: So did you ever think of just moving down there and
1: relocating
0: and just being...
1: Well, you know, I didn't think, number one, you know, they love you down there because you're not from there, okay? You know? right. So yeah. you got to remember that, you know? And I remember, um, like, about 10 years ago, I was at Loose Ends, and when I met Debbie, and I said, you know, I could probably go down to Texas and teach guitar, non-stop, you know, yeah. and, and I talked to somebody down there. Yeah, you'd, you'd have eighty to one hundred students regularly, right? right? And I went, I went, yeah, well, that only lasts so long, and then you're you're not special anymore when you're from there, right?
0: Right, I got you. You know, yeah. you
1: know, it's like here in Toronto, we're not special here at all because they see you regularly, right? Right, you know, fair enough. Yeah, you know? but, yeah. but but but, uh, and then I know a guy named Rick Sanford left uh, Legs Diamond down there. And, and he killed himself. He killed it on himself, you right. know, because, because yeah. he just was playing local bars, playing legs dying into death, and everybody got sick of it, you know?
0: Yeah, I guess you make a good point, because if you go down there and it's a big splash, you do a big show, everybody loves it, that's fine. But if you're at the local bar the following week and then it, it sort of waters down and they go, yeah. yeah he's, exactly.
1: Yeah, the, I see the what waters, you're saying, yeah. The waters yeah. down is exactly what happens, you know? Yeah. Okay. And, 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 you know, but the thing was... Um, I I mean, when I was a kid, I used to watch every Texas movie there was, you know, from the Alamo to everything. I was the most fascinated kid with Texas when I was a kid. So when I got to go down there the first time, I was in heaven. I thought, you know, I went to the Alamo, went to all the places. I went, this is amazing, Mm. you know. But, uh, you know, uh, and and I've got good friends down there now. We have really good friends down there. We talk all the time.
0: Well, the thing that struck me is that, you know, you got a band, you put some tunes together, you got a real record deal. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a fluffy sort yeah. of deal. You're, you're on Polydor. You got some interest, you got some airplay, you're doing some touring. I mean, you're on your way, you're taking the ride. Right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so what happens to that? You know, it, it, uh, I guess the band is shuffling around and the record companies and, and things just didn't work out. You just ended up, uh, the band folded essentially or some people left
1: well you know it was um what happened was the first album that's the one yeah. everybody wanted to hear in the states okay the record company decided well we didn't get a hit single i said yeah but look at we got major penetration etc etc well yeah and then what happened was they decided they wanted to we did the second album we went in the recording studio and it sounded kind of like the first album, but a little more commercial, much more commercial. Right. I wasn't happy with it, but me and Buzz were like at, at, at ends with each other. We weren't talking to each other. Okay. I was writing my own song, putting them in. We go in for rehearsal. Here's a song, bang. I mean, I would walk out. Me and him were like enemies now. I mean, it was huh. bad. We were enemies. Yeah, yeah. So, And then they brought in Buddy Fana to tell another guy via Bill, the drummer, uh, and talking buzz into well you can bring buddy and you can write songs with buddy you don't need mm-hmm. her all okay so all of a sudden you got this conspiracy going on yeah which was got it got really nasty yeah and then basically the record company tried to turn us into trooper i said right. guys we're not trooper look yeah. at what look at what we just did And i wanted to stay in that vein which was a kind of zeppelin-ish purplish, yeah, Black you were compared, Sabbath, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Black Sabbath kind of vein. But I and I remember to this day, we were playing in Canton, Ohio, and they were playing in, in a ballroom, and they were doing Twenty One Twelve tour. And their drummer, their drummer, attacked, unfortunately, fell into Ill, Ill dispute. But uh, at the time, we were good friends. So, anyways, she said, "Come on over to the show." I went over the show, the guest of me, and all that, and and then Getty and Alex and um, Neil drive me you know and they are telling me stay on the track with that first album man that's magic you got it just stay on that track with that and i'm going and i'm thinking to myself oh guys you have no idea what i'm dealing with you know (laughs) yeah well yeah uh, you know Hmm. but but i looked at them and they had and in a half hour drive i saw the spirit of those guys and they were all for one one for all
0: right yeah they were they were tight you're right yeah they were on the same
1: page no book you know
0: yeah for sure and And then well it's going to say about the record companies too like did you get assigned a producer for your second album yeah yeah so you're so that that can be uh, again like i said earlier that can be a recipe for a problem right there in and of itself yeah exactly and uh, and then the other thing is with the record companies like they want the band to chase hit songs. Like I had yeah. a friend of mine, he had a successful tune in the record company said, well, we want 10 more songs just like that. He goes, that's not what I do. I'm writing songs that from the heart that I like, I'm not chasing hit songs. So you were kind of caught in that,
1: I suppose a little bit. Yeah. And they want singles. Well, Mate, where's the- if you had a hit single, it fast tracked you to a lot of money, you know, right. bigger right. ticket sales, bigger, bigger, you know, venues, et cetera, et cetera. So I understood that. But I said, guys, you know, we're not. We're not a top 40 band. I don't want to be a top 40 band. I wanted to have some longevity as an album act. And in those days, you had album acts came out that didn't necessarily have a hit single that were big bands.
0: Right, so it's a it's a slotting issue too. Where do you slot in? Like, how do you define your music? So it's heavy. It wasn't heavy metal, I wouldn't say, but it's heavy heavy rock, I guess.
1: It was borderline. Yeah. It was borderline. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of guys. Well, it's funny because I've had guys tell me, you know, the first time I ever heard Riding High, I said I thought that is beyond heavy metal. Yeah. That's nuts, you know, because it starts off with a really scorching guitar riff, yeah. right? You know, and and it just gets heavier from there, and then you got the screams. And that was the one that did it for us in Europe. Right. Yeah. We hadn't broken into Europe before. But that, you still
0: right? had acoustic stuff and melodic intros and stuff, right? Like 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 Triumph did, right? So you're not, you know, doing the chainsaw guitars in every song, right?
1: No. So No, no. And you know, I mean, yeah. and, and but at the same time as I remember, you know, thinking of looking at Sabbath and I mean we did a song in the first album called I Love Darkest which is kind of like a I mean that's like you remind me I used to joke with guys you know this riff reminds me of Cheech and Chong <laughs> <laughs> you raked my eye right yeah exactly I said exactly I said I just wrote a Cheech and Chong song that's great oh yeah and we'd laugh about it you know it was kind of cool but the thing was but you got to write what you feel right you got to write what you're feeling yeah no exactly you know that's hilarious so it was i mean and and the funny thing was i mean when we did the second album we got a hit off it and it's really ironic okay this is very ironic we had a hit we had a song called uh take it or leave it charted at number 18 on the chum top 30. the following week um wild cherry put their tune on uh play that funky music charted at number 17 We were still at number eighteen. The week after that, Wild Cherry's number one, and we were gone.
0: Well, and take it or leave it. It's a really cool groove. That's kind of funky and heavy, but it's not heavy metal, or it's it's kind of funky almost, right?
1: No, it's not heavy. Well, you know, I walked in, and and, and I walked in, and the band was already playing it. One day, I walked in and I said, "Well, you know, you can do some guitar here and there, guitar here and there." I said, "That's disco, man. I don't play that." And I walked out. I walked out. <laughs> and the manager called me, Earl, what are you doing? I said, I am not playing that. Take yeah. it or leave it. That's Do you want funny. my love? Give me a break. You know? And anyways, yes. yeah. now in retrospect, it was a good pop song. It was a really good pop song. And Buddy, the guitar player, had a, a talent for writing pops, but it wasn't Moxie to me. That's right. when it that's when okay. I went, hey, yeah. that's not Moxie. And then we never played the song live, ever. Oh, really? Ever.
0: No. Well, I yeah. I And it's kind of, kind of, I mean, I don't know what you think of it now, but it's kind of funky and heavy and kind of cool.
1: I, now, I, now I have respect for it. Yeah. At the time, it was not the direction I wanted to take the band in at all. Well, that's, it's and, funny. And, uh, yeah. And it wasn't my dream. It wasn't, you know, I, and it's funny because um, after we did, like we did Riding High and I thought we had a shot after Ride and high, but yep. the whole market went really soft, and we went harder. You know, yeah. and, and and the sad thing is, we found out years later, riding high was a big hit in Europe. They would have mm. loved to have us in Europe. We well, could have done the saga thing in Europe,
0: right there. Because yeah, sagas. I've,
1: nobody, I had, I, nobody, clued, nobody clued in. Yeah. Nobody told us.
0: Well, that's a yeah. I had Ian on the podcast too, and he said they they milked that. Uh, Scene in Europe, big time. Like
1: this. oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. No kidding, no yeah. kidding. And it's beautiful over there. I've been there like yeah. about five, seven or eight times. Right, I love it over there. It's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. You know, like with tribes. I keep telling the guys. All I want is a European vacation. I don't want
0: it to. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, you, you speak to a greater point, though. Like at that time, you know, you're talking mid 70s into the late 70s. You left Moxie, I guess, in 78, right? Would have been yeah, around. Yeah. But you're competing with the the toughest time of all the major bands. I mean, you got Boston, Kansas, Sticks, Foreigner, yeah. Kane, Cars, Steely Dan, and then the Canadian bands, Rush and Triumph and Van Halen's out there. I mean, you got major and no, they all got crazy. major hit songs right yeah yeah so so that's part of it like you know we do a Bob Seeger show and the one thing that always strikes me is that Bob Seeger never had a number one hit song until Breakdown uh, Shakedown in 1987 he had never all his songs that he put out never had a number one hit song really yeah I'm thinking, how you gotta be kidding me, old time rock and roll and, and night moves
1: and stuff. Oh, like, I know. Old time rock and roll is was a, a major yeah. wedding song for you for know for
0: everybody, but it wasn't a number one. you know. So I'm thinking like the competition is just was brutal
1: back then. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, in seventy eight we finished the fourth album with Reno on it. Right, yeah, and, Mike uh, Reno on the band. The yeah. band I yeah, and I was struggling with it. And I was telling my wife, I said, I'm done with this after I've done yeah. and then I went, I went and did a gig and, and I looked around the room and said there's nobody here from the original band right that I started with. Yeah. Nobody here and there's nothing left. I said, I'm done guys I'm Yeah, done. and that, that's when she I left. left. You know? Okay. I mean, it had just gone to the point where we wanted they wanted to become a pop band and I just wanted the dreams over. Dawn. Gone. gone, you know.
0: Well yeah, I can see the divergence. I I know Mike, he lives about fifteen minutes from where I live here, but um, you know, he's a pop singer and a great singer, but for a band like what you guys were, probably not the right fit. Would you say?
1: Well, you know, it wasn't. Yeah, if, well, Buzz was Buzz was Canada's Jim Morrison, Robert Plant combination. Okay. okay, yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one to kind of walk in and try to yeah, you know, to take the shoes over from. But the thing was, I was not a pop song writer in those days. Okay, I'm writing enough. songs much more pop oriented now than I ever did. Yeah, because I'm leaning more towards kind of pop. Rhythm and blues. Yeah. You know? We're even doing reggae. We've got a couple of reggae too. Oh and nice tribes, you know.
0: But by the time Loverboy hit, I mean it, you know, Paul Dean, they had a vision. They knew exactly and I'm I'm a big Reno fan. I lo- I loved Loverboy. They came yeah. out of Vancouver. I was a twenty year old guitar player. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And but they had a real vision, and you're right, they wanted the pop songs. They wanted what I heard. Hill.
1: What I heard was that Paul Dean already had a deal with Columbia. Okay. And he had written all these songs. And uh, they were just trying to find the right center. Yeah. That's exactly what I heard. Hmm. And Paul Dean had played, had come in Toronto, and he had played in a band called Scrubble Cane. Absolutely, yeah. For a couple of yeah. years. And we yeah. did dates together, you know? Oh, good. I so never you, got to know him. Yeah. I never got to know him, but we did dates together. I saw the band, and yeah. really good band. Well,
0: so Scrubble Cane was Henry Small, who was a, who is a friend of mine. Yeah. And then uh, Al Foreman. I know both those guys. I've had them both on the podcast. And Henry Small is a good friend of mine, actually. I saw him about two months ago. That's Okay. But they they had some success. Yeah. That was 73. They got the big deal in New York and went down there and recorded the album. But that fell apart. And then I guess Paul Dean was, you know, got together with Streetheart. Yeah. And then he left Streetheart to form Loverboy.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So, So, yeah. I I knew knew there was a connector somewhere. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so the but those guys again, you talk about shuffling the deck, like you're just always shuffling players around, trying to find the right combination and yeah. and the guys that'll fit and the things that'll work. And then of course the commercial success, in as much as you say, like I wanted to write songs that I wanted to write that the record yeah. guys, as you know better than anybody. Oh,
1: are yeah. like, hey man, yeah.
0: we need pop. I don't care what you do, just get something we could sell. And
1: you're like, Well, oh, you know, okay. if I had a known what I know now. As a guitar teacher, I, I started teaching guitar when I was 56 because the last company I worked for, I was sourcing guitars out of China. We were selling them to Walmart and, you know, yeah. everybody who was going at the time. And um, I was traveling all the time. I was playing guitar all the time. But I started learning all that different stuff. Then when I started to become a teacher, I completely changed. I was a rock guitar player, blues player up to there and I remember that. The first week I'm teaching, some kids go, yeah, I want to know how to do um, Sweet Child of Mine and Sweet Picking. I went, oh, Jesus. oh (laughs) So for two weeks, I'm working on Sweet Child of Mine and Sweet Picking. And and then I went, okay, okay, we can do this. We can do this. Keep going. Anyways, um, but it changed my world completely as a guitar player because you're teaching. You're getting hit with different styles of music all the time. And it starts putting different sounds in your head and different musical patterns, right? You know, if I had known in Moxie what I know now, I would have been able to come up with something pretty close. And the biggest mistake was not putting out uh, Another Time, Another Place, which is the ballad, as a single right. back then. Because it was the time of Frampton and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, And that's what people seem to want to hear or they were getting told that they wanted to hear, you know?
0: Well, you never know what people are I mean, it's funny cuz I had Rick Emmett and Gil Moore both on the podcast and and Rick said that he would take his songs down and they were very melodic and stuff and and Gil would say, "Well, these are folk songs. What am I supposed to do with these?" Yeah. Cuz he wanted to play heavy tunes. We he said, "Well, we'll make them heavy." Yeah. We'll just we'll just start out with the melody and some nice picking and then we'll crank into the the grittier stuff, which is great. I mean, that worked excellent for them. Oh yeah. And it works good for you too. You've got some acoustic parts in there that sound great. And you, and you're melodic, which is what I like. Yeah. That's, I don't yeah. like the, the major scale, heavy metal, chunk, 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 chunk yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, those bands. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't stand that. That was never my music. Right. Yeah. So we have,
1: we're going to release, well, whatever we're going to release, you know, we, we got to get going for 2024. So we're going to push everybody to become a tribes member, go to the EPK, all that type of stuff in the next week or two. Yeah. Um, and then the heart of the band, when I listen to it, it's really a R&B bluesy rock band, you know?
0: Well, it's cool that you you bring up Errol because um, he's another one of those guys, maybe like us, that's had tons of different experience. I mean, he's oh yeah. you know, done lots okay. of stuff, so he's pretty malleable if you say, well, let's try this. Yeah. And he's got the beautiful voice, that silky voice, but he can growl it up a little bit if he needs to. So I think he got, a good combination there with you guys
1: well yeah and you know the thing was errol i mean he goes on he sells it right away and that's what you need yeah. your, your front man is if you're gonna do video you gotta have a singer who can sell it yeah you have to have a singer who can sell it you know yeah no. i don't care if it's i don't know if it's bono and he just sitting there wailing with that great voice he's got okay right you know walking around singing he's selling it you know yeah so, so you have to
0: have it. So how much live cuz I went down your timeline here you did the um the 40 years and still riding high that was in 20, 74 to 2014 I saw some video of that yeah. and then you were live in San Antonio last year I saw some video of that and then there was some other stuff at joefraser.ca I saw something on there you is that what a cover band that you were in? Yeah. Uh,
1: You're playing Hotel California. Well Joe so. Joe yeah Joe Joe's a buddy of mine yeah. done a, He's done a lot of dates with us. Okay. But you know, um, the thing is, uh, I don't know where we are with Moxie right now, candidly. Okay. Um, Nick is extremely busy with what he's doing with uh, Classic Albums Live. Right. And I'm uh, I'm exploring some new songs with that as well now. Yeah. And um, if we do have to make any changes, I went, you know, if we're going to make any changes and people have to see a new version of the band, it'd be really good if they could hear some impactful music right away that kind of you know, directs them and where, right. where we're going. Okay. You know? Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm working on now.
0: Yeah. Cause you got to win them over all over again. Right.
1: Yeah, you exactly. Gotta, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so are you, what are you doing for playing live? Are you, if you got some dates? With Moxie,
1: we're not, with Moxie, we're not doing anything. Okay. Doing nothing right now. Yeah. And it's because of, again, a situation, you know, we've got Nick who's tied up with all yeah. that and that's holding the whole project back in, in okay. to a large degree. And and because we don't have a lot of support here in Southern Ontario, we got about maybe two or three dates we could do that would be beneficial. Okay, right, okay. But I went, you know, I don't want to take the band out that
0: way. Right? Yeah, fair enough. So,
1: so I would like to, you know, again, I've got two songs on the go right now, and I, I want to try to get those finished, and then maybe get to the point of having like a four-song EP that we can put out. Yeah. And it's not going to be, it's not going to be seventy-sounding. Right. That's for sure. You know. Okay. So. I think well and and basically I don't I can't revive the band, but if we can just put a bit of a touch on it and yep. here's where we are now, you know?
0: Yeah, I guess you gotta you've gotta in a sense reflect your roots, but you've gotta grow a little bit too, right? And, yeah. and come up yeah. with something fresh. And then what about uh, tribes? Is that a, a studio band? Tribes or you is, play live? No,
1: Tribes is a big project. Tribes okay. is the big project. Tribes is meant to Go out there and play a lot.
0: Yeah, okay. That's
1: what we're looking for. Yeah. And um, we and and if you get a chance to go through the EPK, you'll you know even if you just spend thirty seconds on each song, you'll get a pretty yeah. good synopsis of where it's at.
0: Yeah, I did look at the website and the you got the bios and stuff on there. So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But the songs are we've got a lot of detail. They're they're not typical blues R and B songs. They've got right. a lot of there's a lot of kind of not orchestration, but composition to them. Cool. Yeah. And it's not just a typical, here's a blues tune, it's not that at all.
0: Yeah, nice. It's
1: very R&B rock-oriented. And mature. Know, which is a hard one. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah so exactly. You put your time in, so. And then, yeah. uh, are you writing a book? Is that, uh, did I read that somewhere? Uh,
1: you know, I know, you know, I keep getting people saying, I said, I'm not finished yet. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm done. Right. And, you know, and I'm going, you know, you know, I should be, I should be, but I'm teaching, you know, 30 hours a week. Yeah. And my main passion outside of playing guitar is playing tennis. Right, okay. And I, I play tennis four or five times a week, play nice. singles. I'm not playing old man doubles. Yeah. I love going out and hitting the ball. Nice. And But the only problem is once you get to this age, you do that from 10 to 11 in the morning, you're sleeping for two hours <laughs> after that. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, not, you're not getting up and running right back out, okay, you know.
0: Well, rock and roll keeps you young. I mean, that's, I've always said yeah. that myself. I plan on uh, doing it for a long time and staying young. So it sounds like you got lots going on right now. What's your, what's your bucket list? Like if, if you wave a magic wand, what's the one thing or two things that you want to well, do before you?
1: Well, you know, the funny thing is my son's 25, okay? Yeah. And and he's now a co-tenant with me in the, in the uh, unit we share. So he's doing all the moxie shirts and pressing oh, nice. and sending them all out. And it's cool, and that's his project. He does custom clothes, right? Yeah. Cool. But I've been teaching him to play tennis for the last three years and he's killing me now. <laughs> so 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 my bucket list is me and him are gonna go down to a few international tennis tournaments. Nice. I said, you know, we you gotta go to California yeah. to see the you know the pros play. And we gotta go to Europe. You gotta go to Europe to see the pros play. Nice. So that's kind of the bucket list for now, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, and then musically you're still active, which is great. I mean
1: Oh yeah, I mean I'd love to see tribes. You know, get this one album off the ground, and then get working towards two and three. You know,
0: right? Awesome! No, oh, good for you. That's great. Well, you're a real inspiration, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today, and uh, and uh, yeah, great, great interactive conversation.
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's your fault because you're a guitar player. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, here you go. You got to talk guitars. Oh, I, know. I was going to say, I saw you, you were playing the Steve Vai. You were playing a monkey grip
1: too. I, I saw I, on there. Is that it? you know that guitar. I love it. I tell you why. Um, I got it. I, I, I injured my hip badly playing hockey, okay? So my left hip, okay. I ripped all the ligaments on the back of your hip. So what it means is that your hip's hanging on by a thread, basically, okay? Uh, so okay. when I play a Strat that weighs 10 pounds, i got to take ibuprofen before I play, okay? Yeah. So then a friend of mine, uh, a good buddy who's out in East Coast, sold me the guitar. I got it, I went, the neck is invisible, man. There's no neck here, you know? And the <laughs> guitar weighs about two pounds, and you don't yeah. even feel like you have it on. But then I put EMGs in it. The thing is a monster. I said, "This thing, this is." Great. And it's wow. got, and it's not only that, it's got great tone too. You know. Cool.
0: So, so are they active EMGs or passive? Yeah,
1: they're they're active. See, that's
0: what EMGs. I use. I have active EMGs on oh. my Strat. I love them. They they sound great.
1: Yeah, they the EMG gave me a set of EMG X's back about five years ago. Okay. Which I did a built a, a custom strat with, and they, cool. I'm still on their artist list somehow. I don't know how it happened, but yeah, okay. that guitar. But it, I gotta get a new body for it. It weighs about 15 pounds. It it just kills me. But everybody yeah. says, yeah, "Man, you gotta keep playing that guitar." Between that and the and the um, gem, that's all I need. Yeah,
0: when well, you know, you're ripping up and down on that, that sounded yeah, great too. The yeah. good tone in that. Yeah. That
1: oh sounds... yeah. No, I just hold like you know. That's yeah, so I had unique. a
0: couple of those. Actually, I had the one with the with the flowers that went up the neck and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. the vine that yeah. went up the, that was inlaid yeah. in the neck. It was nice too. But yeah. I, I'm a Strat guy, so I ended up getting rid of it. But uh, I should have kept it. They're worth a lot now. So.
1: Oh, I know. Oh, tell me. Hey, well, listen, we could go back through that forever. You
0: know. Yeah, for sure. Many thanks to my guest, Earl Johnson, for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his magnificent career and interesting life that he's lived. More information is available on his musical pursuits at tribesmusic.com. That's tribes with a Z. Uh, and then he's got some information. there's a Moxie official on uh, Facebook as well. and then there's a, a site for Moxie Canada as well, if you want to check that out. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. And we invite you to listen to Dusty Discs radio Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan.